Well, good morning, church, again. Hey, well, we're continuing in our More Than a Church series, and we are a courageous church. We will be that courageous church. As we talk about what it means to be more than a church, you see the asterisk, and, you know, whenever you see an asterisk, it reminds us there, it's a footnote, there's, there's, there's something more to the word, and so when we say more than a church, how do you be more than a church? Well, we simply want to be more than the average American or westernized church who's faded in its impact, who's faded in its influence because of our comfort. We want to be more than that church. And to be that, we have to be courageous. I said it last week, there there are these things that I feel like God is calling us to. If we're going to be more than a church, these are some of the things I feel God is leading us to. And courage is at the top. And if you will, all of those things underneath it hang from that very word. We'll be courageous in our compassion and our generosity, in the raising up of the generations. Being a courageous church, being an ascending and missional church. Church. It takes courage to, to participate and to partner with missionaries who will go into sometimes hostile environments to dig wells and build churches. It takes courage as a church to gather our resources, not as an institution, but gather our resources as individuals collectively for the mission of God and sending it prayerfully to those who have made the bold step to courageously go. To be more than a church means we're courageous in our leadership and the raising up of a leadership culture. We're courageous in our serving, in our creativity. We're courageous when we partner prayer with our work. This is what it means to be more than a church, being a church of courage. I'm so grateful for our church and the stories of courage throughout its history. As I I hear the stories of the yesteryears, of the courageous steps taken by the legacy members of our church to build even this facility, to buy property when there wasn't anything around here. It was just fields. To build a church, and then they put a, a road in called Providence Road. I think that's pretty providential, don't you think? And even recently, hearing stories of of people who attend our church who are facing life's adversities, whether it's in their finances or in their health, and they boldly and courageously declare faith in God even in those moments. This is what a courageous church looks like. It's not courageous because of the institution. It's courageous because of the individuals who make up this church. How many of you have ever been on a trip and you were just so excited, like getting ready, like you started packing like two weeks ahead of time? I know some of our student missionaries who literally were packed 30 days before we even left. They were so anxious and excited in anticipation. Many of you are like that with your vacations, although moms with small children probably aren't as excited because they have to pack, you know, like my wife has to pack four suitcases besides her own, I'm including mine. I'm kidding, I pack my own suitcase. I pack my own suitcase, she just adds all the things I forget. But there's that excitement. It's like, do it, you remember the, the, the day before school starts or even the week before school starts? You lay out your outfit and all your brand new pencils. There's that excitement, that anticipation. You're getting ready. I feel like 
we are there. God is asking us to get ready. And that's the message I want to share with you tonight. But there's that anticipation to go where God is taking us. And I understand that sometimes when God calls us, when he, he asks us to get ready to go someplace, we want to know the details. Sometimes when he asks us to go, when he calls us to go someplace, it doesn't make any sense. But he's getting us ready. It's in those moments that he's calling you to something and through something. Even the difficulties you might find yourself facing today, you can say, oh, this wasn't what God meant. But you know what? It might be the very thing God is using to get you ready for something greater. I remember years ago, I I, I met a great man. And I remember the words of wisdom that he spoke. I met him in a movie theater. It was, it was the late 1980s when I met him. His name was Mr. Miyagi from The Karate Kid. And if you remember the story, he says to young Danielson, this teenager who had just moved into the neighborhood, who was being bullied, who wanted some karate skills to defend against bullies and fight off those who would attack him. He wanted to learn karate, and so Mr. Miyagi said, I'll teach you. So young Danielson comes to his house, and he says, I'm ready. Teach me. Let's go. I'm ready. You're going to teach me a roundhouse kick or some sort of punch? Mr. Miyagi walks him out into the front dirt yard where there's all these old cars, and he hands him a bucket and some wax and a cloth, and he says, wax on? You, you want to say it, go ahead. Wax off. Wax on, wax off. You all know it. Wax on, wax off. Daniel thinking, okay, he wants me to work first. All right, I get it. He waxes on and waxes off all night long. He comes back the next day, he says, okay, now I'm ready for you to teach me. Teach me some karate. And Mr. Miyagi says, paint the fence. Okay, this has nothing to do with karate, but I'll paint your fence. So he paints the fence. Mr. Miyagi shows him the right way to do it. Comes back the next day, I painted your fence for crying out loud, teach me some karate. He says, okay, I will. Paint the house. Side to side. This is how you do it. Danielson, frustrated after painting the whole house, says, teach me some karate. Mr. Miyagi says, okay, sand floor, sand floor. Danielson, so frustrated, comes back again one last time. He's fed up. He, he just unloads on Mr. Miyagi. I came here to learn karate and all you're doing is using me for your slave to get your chores done. I've waxed. I've painted. I've sanded. Teach me some karate. It was in that moment that Danielson was most ready to receive what Mr. Miyagi had already taught him. Come back tomorrow, he said. Had Danielson quit after waxing the car? or painting the fence, or painting the house, or sanding the floors, he never would have completed the tasks that would bring him to the point where he was ready. Mr. Miyagi was teaching him the whole time, yet he didn't see it. And I think in the natural, oftentimes the situations God is bringing us to and through, we want to quit. 
There's no possible way that God is teaching me anything through this crazy circumstance. And yet, it's in those moments that he's teaching you everything you need to know about life and about himself, his character. It's oftentimes I find myself asking this question, God, what are you doing? Where are we going? Where are you taking me? And it's in those moments where I have to see through eyes of faith and not eyes of fear. Realize when God is calling you someplace, he's often calling you out of where you are to where he is, where he already is. I understand sometimes we don't want to move because we're comfortable, but God has already moved ahead and wants us to come along to be where he is and where he wants us to go. I want to dive in to a story of Joshua, but in order to do that, this morning we need to rewind a little bit and understand what leads us to the story of Joshua that I'm going to share tonight. If you go into Deuteronomy chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it up. It'll be up on the screens. You can also open your version app and the live uh, version of that uh, has all the notes for you to follow along. Deuteronomy chapter 1, let me set it up. Forty years have passed that the children of Israel have wandered in the desert. And here, Moses is actually year number 39, and he is telling the people, get ready, we're moving up to where we need to be to enter the promised land. And so he's doing a review of where they've been, what God has done, how he has led them. And so it starts out in Deuteronomy chapter 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. So they are east of the Jordan River which is on on the east side of Israel. They're just north of the Dead Sea. So picture picture where they're at. They are not in in Israel, in the promised land at that point. In verse verse 2, it says this. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Sur Road. I have no idea what that road is, but I do know where Horeb is. If you picture with me the, the, uh, the Red Sea, Egypt, Red Sea. And there's two gulfs that are on the northern part of the Red Sea that form the Sinai Peninsula. And at the bottom of that is Horeb, where the mountain of God, where they got the Ten Commandments, the Golden Calf. All these experiences happened at the southern tip of the, uh, of the Sinai Peninsula, Peninsula, where Horeb is. Kadesh Barnea is the southern border of Israel. They are 11 days' journey from the Promised Land Basically, the distance from Columbia to St. Louis, about an hour and a half trip had they had a car. They are 11 days. 11 days from the very promises of God. 11 days. Verse 3. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month. So 40 years later. 40 years to make an 11-day journey. 40 days to take an 11 days journey. Let's back up even further. Verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. 40 years before, the Lord had said, it's time for you to pack it up. You've been at the mountain long enough. You've had some great experiences. But now it's time to move 
to where I already am. You need to move. You've been here long enough. You need to go there. You can't stay here. So they packed it up, made the journey to Kadesh Barnea, and it was there that we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 13. Now, to understand all of this, you need to go home and read Numbers 10, 11, and 12. Actually, read all of it. But 10, 11, and 12 will kind of give you the setup of where they're at. In chapter 13, the Lord commands them to send out spies into the land. And for 40 days, these 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel, would go out and scout out the land. Their job was to determine not whether they should go into the promised land, but where they should go. These guys were to make the strategic plan and figure out where they needed to enter, how they would go about doing it by the hand of the Lord. And they would come back, make the report of all that was good and what they should do. This was their job. The Lord says, you've stayed here long enough. It's time to take the land. So in Numbers chapter 13, that's where we pick up the story in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community, and they gave this report, verse 27. This is is their account. Ten of the twelve give this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. That just straight up sounds scary. I don't know who Anak is, but in my mind, he's not a, a, a small dude. So here they are reporting it. It is just as the Lord promised. It's got everything we need. Snickers and Mountain Dew. It's flowing. Everything we need is there. It's true. These guys, aren't te- these guys are not lying. Understand, their report was not false. They reported it just as they saw it. And they begin to give the report, not the report out of faith, but out of fear. And Caleb, one of the two other young men who've taken this journey, Caleb, young Caleb says this, He silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He stands up in front of a whole congregation, he probably being one of the youngest on that journey. He stands up and says, yo, shut it. We don't use those words in my house, but we're not in my house, so. He says, be quiet. Here is the report of faith. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can do it. And the other 10 who had gone said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Verse 32, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report. So they get all the people grumbling. And they go on and say, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. That's just a straight up scary name. If you have a kid, name him Nephilim or Anak. That last verse, uh, verse 33, the last part. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. This is the report of 10 of the 12 spies that went out to the land. They said, it is just as we were promised. It's got everything we need. It's not like the desert we've been in for the last few years that we've come out of Egypt from. But... 
there are big obstacles, mainly giant people with huge fortified cities. They were giving a report through the eyes of fear. Listen to what they said. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Whose eyes were they looking through? Their own. We seemed like grasshoppers compared to the obstacles that we faced. We seemed like it in our own eyes. We perceived our own weaknesses compared to the strengths of the people that we were to face. In our own eyes, we seemed this way. Isn't that how we tend to act in the natural when obstacles come into our life? They seem larger than they really are. We seem smaller than maybe we really are. But you know what? God doesn't care how big your obstacles are. He really doesn't. Your obstacles might seem large to you, but they don't seem like anything to him. And when you see through eyes of faith, you begin to see as Joshua and Caleb saw. For they gave the same report, but they saw something totally different. Flip to chapter 14. The beginning of 14, it says the people grumbled and cried. They began to complain. And they began, through the eyes of fear, they began to complain and say, why didn't we just die in Egypt? We wish we could just go back. How great was it in Egypt? Are you kidding me? Do you remember you were slaves in Egypt? Isn't it true that as time passes and as we look at fear to the future, the past looks way better than it really was? Right? Isn't that true about everything? No, the past always seems better, right? You should have seen how great I was in high school basketball, (laughs) right? (laughs) That fish I caught was... You know, it gets bigger every year, right? The past always seems better. And they begin to grumble and complain and cry. We should have gone back to Egypt. Joshua and Caleb, verse 6 of chapter 14, says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of uh, some other guy, we were among those, they were among those who explored the land. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Okay, same report. If the Lord is pleased with us, meaning if we obey, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Boom, you go, teenager. They're giving the report through the eyes of faith. They're on the doorstep of the promised land. 11 days journey. They begin to grumble and complain about the future destruction that they saw. I think they wanted it all done for them. How in the world do you enter the promised land and its potential and its problems without obedience, without courage and faith? I don't know. But they weren't supposed to worry about that. They weren't supposed to understand. They were supposed to obey. They were supposed to move according to God's commands. Ten of them said, we look like grasshoppers. Two of them said, you know what? This land might devour those who are living in it, 
but we are going to chew up those people and spit them out. And that's my version of it. End of chapter 30 says, the land we explored devours those living in it. And I I love how they respond. Do not be afraid of the people because we will swallow them. Shoot, they're not even going to chew. We're going to swallow them up because the Lord's going to give them into our hands because of his promises. I promise you this. God will do his part if you do yours. Stop waiting for the evidence and start walking in obedience. The evidence always follows obedience, not vice versa. And when you act according to obedience, you might gain understanding. The Lord may just begin to show you glimpses of what he's about to do. It amazes me that these people already had evidence. They had been led from Egypt through the middle of a sea. The sea parted and they walked through on dry land. The Lord fed them with manna from the sky. Every morning they woke up, there was fresh manna on the ground. He fed them. He gave them water. And this is in the middle of a desert, people. They had seen the work of the Lord and his mighty hand. They had seen the miracles and the evidence. And yet in this moment, they forgot. They were overwhelmed because they saw through eyes of fear instead of eyes of faith. And even though God fed and led them, now they thought he would abandon and betray them to the very thing he'd promised them. He had led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This is the, the image of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. As soon as that cloud began to move, that pillar of fire began to move, they followed it. And in this moment, they said, oh, oh, we forgot about that. The Lord says, you can't stay here. You've been at this mountain long enough. What do you think that mountain represented to them? I mean, they got the Ten Commandments. They saw the glory of God. They said all these things at that mountain. They had built their homes. And now having to pack up, you know what it meant? They had to leave all that was familiar. They had to pack up their tabernacle, their church. They had to pack that up too. And I can only imagine that a village of a million people had some well-worn paths. You know, you heard of those colleges who, when they build new buildings, they don't bother pouring sidewalks. They just let the students determine the path, and wherever the path gets worn down, they just pour concrete. I can imagine this is kind of what happens when you have a million people, that these paths sort of get well-worn, and, and they just get used to it. I know where everybody lives. I know where Aunt Susie lives. And I've been up to the mountain. I know where, I know where God is because I'm so familiar with, with that spot. These well-worn paths, you might call them ruts. They were stuck in ruts. And God's saying, it's time to leave that place. I got something better for you. So follow me. I'll tell you this. Here is not okay. Wherever you are, it might be okay, but it's not okay. As Jim Collins writes, good is always the enemy of great. Okay is the enemy of best. And when we say in our own spiritual lives, in our own lives, we say, hey, we're good. When we as a church say, hey, we're, we're, we're doing all right, we're okay, then we cease becoming a church that matters, a church that has influence. We get marginalized, not because of our culture, but because of who we are, 
who we've become. We've become okay with things. We will be a courageous church. Here is deadly. It causes us to see the past better than it really was. It causes us to see the present as as good as it gets and the future full of unconquerable giants. So I'm telling you this morning, church, stop looking with your own eyes. Those giants that you see in your own life, be it finances, job, relationship, marriage, whatever it is, that unconquerable giant, when seen through the eyes of faith, you bet, you should probably run from it. Sorry, the eyes of fear. (laughs) Boy, I'm a hypocrite sometimes. Through the eyes of fear, but through the eyes of faith, when you trust what God is calling you to, it is conquerable. So whose eyes are you looking through? Do you have the courage that it takes? And I'll tell you where courage comes from. Four things real quick as we get ready to close. Courage comes from knowing who God is. Courage comes from knowing who God is. Knowing his character, his promises, and his past participation in your life. I hear your stories, and I'm amazed at the work that God has done in your life. I hear the stories of our church, and I'm amazed at what God has done in the past. It is is not an anchor. It should be a catapult. Those stories should catapult you into your divine future. And when you know his character and what his presence is doing, what where he's going, you can begin to see through eyes of faith. When you see his promises in Scripture, which means you probably need to read the Bible just a little bit. As my friend Stephen Furtick says, if you think the Bible is boring, you're wrong. You're boring. I didn't say it. Stephen Furtick said it, so I'm just quoting him. Knowledge of who God is leads to courage. Beyond what you can conjure up. Second, knowledge of who I am and who I'm not. When you know who you are and who you're not, it's a lot easier to look through the eyes of faith. I know I can't conquer some of the giants in my life. I know that. I know I am not God. But I do know that I'm a child of his. I do know that he has all the power. I do know that he provides all things. He's already given me everything I need to live a godly life. That's what 1 Peter says. When I walk in knowledge of who I am and who I'm not and who God is, this is where courage comes from. The third thing, Holy Spirit empowerment. The Holy Spirit of God empowering you Through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. Give it a good read. Start in chapter 1. It'll help. You begin to see that God, through the Holy Spirit, empowering believers to do things they had not done before. Look at Peter. Dude who couldn't keep his foot out of his mouth. Who acted rashly. Who couldn't really put coherent thoughts together. Suddenly, boldly proclaims the gospel of Christ. You want courage? You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, this is the substantial evidence of your life when you begin to move out in faith and in courage, emboldened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
Church, being more than a church means, as a, we call it the Pentecostal experience. And oftentimes we get stuck on this initial evidence of speaking in tongues. And may I say, what a great experience that is. But it's to move us beyond initial evidence to substantial evidence of people's lives changed. Last week, 11 people boldly declaring courageously that they are followers of Christ publicly. Are you kidding me? That's the greatest substantial evidence of faith that you can have in a church is lives saved and changed. And I'm preaching better than you responded. (laughs) Holy Spirit empowerment. You got to seek it out. You ask God, I'll take whatever you got, God. If there's more, I want it. Don't trust me. Trust the word of God. Go home and pray for it tonight. After the annual vision and business meeting. (laughs) Last thing, obedient action. Obedient action. If we say that fear or if courage is not the absence of fear, but the decision to move despite fear. That's a great observation. That means you got to take that step, that step of faith. We say faith is this partnership with God. He does his part. You have to do yours. You have to take that first step. Because I'll tell you this, fear leads to disobedience and rebellion, just like we saw in the children of Israel. They wandered for 40 years to take an 11-day journey. They were being led by a guy, too. I understand that. Guys tend to get lost. Never mind. Forget it. They wandered for 40 years on an 11-day journey because they were reacting with eyes of fear instead of faith. And I find in my life that courage comes because I take obedient action, not because I'm fearful. I'm not telling you you're not going to have fear or that somehow fear is sin. It's when we start seeing through those eyes, everything becomes tainted. So it's more important to take obedient action and say, okay, God, I trust you. And it's oftentimes when I take that first step and that second step of faith that the courage from the power of the Holy Spirit begins to well up in me. Courage that I can't conjure up on my own. And that's why we pray and work. We pray and work. Not one without the other. We believe that prayer, we pray because it depends on God and we work because it depends on acting in faith. So what about you in your life this morning? Where do you need to act courageously? Is it in your marriage? It takes courage through the eyes of faith to see what seems like the only brokenness and giants that are unconquerable to act in faith and begin to move towards healing and restoration. It takes obedient action. And guys, come on. If your marriage is crumbling, you're not praying, Lord, just change my wife. She's the problem. (laughs) You say, God, I'm broken. Fix me, I'm the spiritual leader. Something's wrong with me. Help me to see it. That's courageous right there. And then take obedient action. Take her on a date for crying out loud to a place that actually brings you food to the table that you're sitting at. Amen, Amen, all the women said. Come on, gentlemen. Be men of courage. I love that we're going through this Kingdom Man series on Tuesday nights because men need to act like biblical men. Take your wife on a date and begin to change the things in you before you... Be, dare begin to say to her, you need to change these things about you. 
What are those things that you need to courageously act upon to bless your kids and train them up? It takes a lot of courage. It's easy to pray, oh, God, bless my kids. Read the scripture. It says you have the power to bless. Through your mouth, you speak words of life and death. Courageous parents speak those words of life. Courageous parents lead by example. Be that courageous. To stand for what is right. To take steps of faith. Stop praying for God to bless you and start tithing for crying out loud. Oh, come on now. All right. I, I, I hear it all the time. I'm not saying that every financial hardship is because we didn't give enough. I'm not saying that. I am saying that when we take a step of faith to trust God in every area of our life, including our finances, we will see the blessing and the promise. And when you see through eyes of faith, you begin to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I know there's more bills to pay than I have paycheck, but I'm going to trust you anyway. That's courageous individuals. You read the scripture, you apply it, you pray it, you get into a life group that helps you understand it. What about making new relationships? What about college students? When you're surrounded by a culture that finds life at the bottom of a red solo cup, right? And you find life in Jesus Christ and you live accordingly. High school students, what about you? Standing and proclaiming boldly your faith by living the story of Christ on your campus. Those who are about to graduate, what about taking a year after high school and giving it to God, going on a a year-long mission? That's courageous. What about going on a mission trip to, I don't know, Ghana? What about going on a mission trip to El Salvador this summer? What about taking your whole family on a mission trip? Oh, watch out. Those families are crazy. And they come back changed. And their children are never the same again. I got one of those kids living in my house right now. She'll never be the same. And I thank God for that. And I could go on about what courage looks like. Maybe you need to break off on healthy relationships. Be bold at school and at work and sharing your story. But what do you need to act courageously in? Band, I want you to come. We're going to close out with one song. It says, with everything, I'll I'll shout for your glory. May we be bold and courageous and make that our prayer. And then go out from this place and act upon it. Church, you want to know what I think it looks like to be a courageous church? I'll take your response as a yes. We're courageous in our loving, in our living, and our giving. We're courageous in the sending of our own people to all four corners of this earth. We're courageous to be more than a church, meaning we are courageous outside of these four walls and outside of this city. We're courageous in planting churches all around mid-Missouri from our own resources. We're courageous in reaching the unreachable, the lost, and the broken. We're courageous to pray bold prayers and to act and work accordingly. We're courageous to follow God's leading. When he says move, we move. And we're courageous in our worship. We worship with abandonment to our glorious God. We worship in a way that when people walk in here who've never experienced the presence of God before, they go, what in the world? 
God is at work in this place. They may not even know it's God. They might just say, something's different. Do we worship boldly, energetically, with passion? This is not a judgment. I'm just, I'm just asking questions. Think about the majesty of God for a second, and you might want to do more than throw up your hands. You might want to crawl on the floor of how, because how big our God is and how great he is. And when you step into his space through worship, he's not stepping into your space. You're stepping into his And this morning, as we proclaim boldly his praise, you can sing the words or you can loudly declare your own words. God, you are good. There is none like you. Great is your faithfulness. Your love knows no end. That is worship. From your heart this morning, courageously worship our God. Let every giant that we see, that we face in our lives fade in its comparison to how big you are. May you increase. May I decrease. May you be lifted high. Fill your people with your Holy Spirit, with power from on high. Lord, let us be the church that you desire. Not what I desire, but what you desire. Church, walk in faith and in courage this week. What's that thing that you're facing? What's that giant? Walk by faith. Scripture's full of people who walked in courage and in faith and I call you to do the same this week and let us be the church of courage it takes courage to go after that marriage one more time to say to God I trust you in everything in my relationships my finances my parenting pray and work pray and work